Reformation Fellowship provides support and fellowship to all who would stand for the Reformation of Christ's Church worldwide. We long to see the church revitalized by the gospel and seek to encourage all who share that vision. We gather together for gospel-hearted fellowship around gospel-minded theology. We are a ministry of you. Greetings, friends. My name is Justin Schell, and I want to welcome you back to the Reformation Fellowship podcast. We are just a few episodes into our first season, and whether this is your first time with us or you've listened to every episode so far, we're glad that you are on this journey with us. Before I introduce today's guest, I want to make you aware of our website, reffellowship.org, R-E-F-fellowship.org. That's where you can find out more about what we are all about here at the Reformation Fellowship, and we can keep you updated on news about events, resources, the gatherings, etc. And we pray that in every episode, you are encouraged more and more to delight in God, grow in Christ, serve the church, and bless the world. And I'm especially excited today um, that we are kicking off a three-part conversation on Scripture. Today's conversation will have us exploring the biblical languages, studying them, employing them in ministry, and really using them as a tool to serve the church. The next two weeks, we'll look at issues around the doctrine of scripture and biblical theology, asking how these topics can strengthen God's people as well. So be sure to tune in for those. But as I said, today we are looking at the biblical languages, and here to help us are two wonderful brothers who know a thing or two about the biblical languages. They are Stephen Jenkins, lecturer in Greek and biblical studies for Union School of Theology, and Stephen Moore, lecturer in Hebrew and Old Testament there at Union School of Theology. Stephen and Stephen, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm really thrilled to be discussing the biblical languages with you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Great to be with you, Justin. Yeah, yeah. Welcome. Why don't we take just the first few minutes and and hear from the two of you? I've I've given your titles, where you're at. Can you help us know the two of you just a little better? So um, I'm Stefan Jenkins, or depending on where uh, you met me, Esteban Jenkins or Stefan Jenkins. Uh, (laughs) So uh, my mother is German. My father was Welsh, but I was born in Spain. And then I was born again uh, in England when I when I heard the gospel at university. I um, be, Spanish being my mother tongue, uh, I had the great privilege of spending a lot of time in Cuba, helping out with theological education, and it was through that that I ended up having an opportunity at, at Tyndale House in Cambridge, of training leaders of Cuban denominations to set mm-hmm. up programs for Hebrew and Greek there. Mm. Uh, and then this uh, crazy person called Mike Reeves, uh, you know, got hold of me and wouldn't let go. And suddenly my family is here in Bridge End, which we thoroughly love and is delightful in every way. Mm. Awesome. Awesome. Stephen. I uh, was born and raised in, in Northern Ireland and uh, moved uh, when I was um, just turned 18 to England to study and then spent uh, a number of years in England and then in London. And I met my wife there. Um, who's English and not Northern Irish. And we, um, about six years ago, we moved to the Netherlands um, for uh, research and PhD. And then uh, we'd been in Wales for a relatively short time. So 
we moved here last May and uh, took up a position here at Union and it's been a pleasure coming to God's own country or um, <laughs> not quite the Celtic motherland, but near enough. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Thank you both for, for giving us your time, um, not just for this episode, but for the coming to. Um, what an important uh, conversation I think this is going to be, these, uh, these three episodes together. So let's jump in. For, for our listeners, depending on their, their background, the idea of learning Greek and Hebrew might seem fairly standard uh, if, they, if they were in church traditions where that's just what every, every pastor did, for instance. But uh, for others, this might be a new idea. Uh, why would you say... Um, or what would you say are reasons that a pastor in training might consider studying the languages? Yeah, in, in some ways, working back to what the what the task is before before a pastor in training, um, expounding the scriptures week to week. Um, I mean, Lord willing, uh, however many decades um, the Lord gives us in, in ministry, uh, a very core task, a central task is going to be uh, opening up the words for ourselves, for our congregations, expounding the Old and New Testament week in, week out. And, and therefore, biblical languages fits within an understanding of that as a, a core part of uh, the pastor's task, how um, the pastor goes about shepherding the people. So um, I, think, I think once we move work back from the task, we realize that actually biblical languages take their place not as a side interest or a niche thing and um, but actually a really core part of the task and one that's central to being equipped and and therefore is, is front and center of um of the, of the pastor's training so i think i would work back from the uh, the calling um to uh, be a pastor and and what the lord has called uh, us to in that mm. uh, and then back and find biblical languages um not as a free-floating possible interest that we might take up but, but rather as something that can um serve that that task and ultimately serve the people and um, that we'll be ministering to. Yeah. Yeah. Stefan, would you yeah, add think, to that? Yeah, I think you, you put that really well, Stephen. And I, um, I think later on, we're going to talk a little bit about how learning the languages will, will save you time in what you do. But I'd, um, I think I want to also say that uh, the body has many parts and uh, we're not wanting to bind anybody's conscience here. So I'm deeply conscious of the fact that as a pastor in a local church, I have many areas where um, I am weak and other men are very strong and gifted. And uh, we, none of us is going to be finished this side of glory. And we wouldn't want to say to somebody, um, oh, you don't know Latin and Aramaic. Well, how can you possibly be a pastor when they might say to me, hey, given your inability to have a conversation with a bereaved old lady, what are you doing wearing a dog collar? You know. Mm. But with that in mind, what are the things that would make me nervous if I were a pastor and, and hadn't spent time in the languages? And I think it's the unknown unknowns. So when I enjoy, as I do every day, reading a variety of, of translations, I don't only work from Greek and Hebrew. The thing that I'm conscious of when I'm enjoying a translation is that I'm one removed from God's word. And I don't know which bits of what I'm reading are the interpreter's decision, which bits are a certain decision, which bits are an accident. And, you know, I grew up multilingually, so I'm quite familiar with helping people who don't share a language understand each other. And it, and it is a complicated uh, thing. So I think um, that, that puts, pushes me on to 
you know what C.S. Lewis said about philosophers. We need Christian philosophers. Why? Because there are bad philosophers out there. And the reality of it as a pastor is that people are going to bug you saying, I have heard it said that the original here says. And at that point, what are you going to do if you can't open the original and expound it? So, you know, this may sound, this may sound a bit harsh, but imagine that you move uh, to France and uh, you know, you're, you're a Welshman or an Englishman and you decide on Saturday nights to go to the local tavern where every Saturday a retired professor of Shakespeare is giving a lecture. And you see in his home that he has read every book about Shakespeare. You know that he has read Shakespeare in French all the way through hundreds of times. He knows things you'd never dreamt, but he cannot read English. And you know that you sitting in that tavern with an edition, a paperback of Shakespeare in English, you are seeing things that this world expert is missing. Mm. How uncomfortable would I feel if I were that Frenchman expecting people to trust what, what I'm telling them? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, um, that's good. That's good. Just, just to um, follow up on that, I mean, I... It's a good question. It's an important question for a pastor in training to ask. And in, in some ways, I would say that, that the very fact that um, that is a frequently asked question is also partly a reflection of, in, in some ways, how um, ill-served the church and prospective pastors are ab about biblical languages and, uh, and their importance. So if we were to take our cue not from necessarily this generation or th the last two or three generations, yeah. um, but we were to go back to, you know, what, what does Luther say? Um, you know, when he articulates clearly the importance of the biblical languages for people, you know, a wider group than just pastors in training, what kinds of things does he say? And I think we find that there's every encouragement that this is um, strategic for the church, it's vital for the church to um, be robust and in its interpretations and, um, and that scripture withstands all assaults and uh, that the church is edified when there's this freshness and force that, that comes through the pastor's knowledge and understanding of the languages. So um, to, to strengthen the arm of those pastors in training, um, you know, we, there, there are lots of resources um, down the edges and lots of um, clouds of witnesses who can strengthen our arm that this is, this is well worth the, uh, the man hours. Yeah. Yeah. Really that, that idea of, can we, can we strengthen the pastor? Can we strengthen, as you say, strengthen the arms of, of the pastor that they might serve uh, God's people more? Let's say uh, I'm a pastor and I, I did study the languages five, 10, 20 years ago, um, but I've misplaced them somewhere. <laughs> um, for whatever reasons, um, no pointing fingers, I've not been able to maintain my knowledge. Of, uh, of Greek and Hebrew, um, how might I begin to, to get it back? Well, you put your finger on it, Justin, because uh, it's not about pointing fingers. So I would say um, there's a great psychological hurdle, I think, with, um, you know, with a minister or a pastor in that situation or someone who had the biblical language and they just feel that there's a great mental hurdle to returning to them because every time they return to them, they're reminded of um, what they've forgotten. And oh, I used to know that. I used to be better at that. I, you know, I was, I was much better when I was at some seminar and I was training. Um, set that aside, complete, set that completely aside. 
take great encouragement if somebody's done some spent some time in the languages and um, previously take encouragement that there is a reservoir there <laughs> however um you know however remote that feels there's a reservoir of knowledge to tap back into so somebody's not starting from scratch and what they've been doing in the meantime is all sorts of good things pastoring so there have been lots of other things that have been that have been going well uh, I would say at the point where somebody's committing to try and recover and retrieve some of that knowledge, again, I would, I would give every encouragement to them to do that. Um, uh, but I think a couple of, a couple of changes or a couple of changes are, are important. One is uh, I would resist the temptation to use more aids or props, um, mm. whatever they might be. So that the answer probably isn't a more sophisticated um, software language program Mm. Uh, it's, it's fewer um, of those things and rather it's return to um, including recovering some of the, the understanding of grammar so going back into the old grammar book as well as um, going to your text reading with your lexicon rather than with lots of other props and aids and the, the important thing, or the reason why I say that it's important to get over the psychological hurdle that this is a problem is because that, that's not going to feel very spiritual sitting down with your introductory textbook and it's not going to feel very spiritual sitting down with your lexicon and, um, and just your Greek New Testament or your Hebrew Bible. And yet that is a spiritual act of worship, that that is going to inform um, not only your, your own study of scripture and your walk with the Lord, but how you teach and preach and minister and um, and so it's going to profit your people. So for the same reason that it was worthwhile spending time in the past doing it, it's worthwhile recovering and retrieving it. And uh, so, yeah, I'd, I'd give every encouragement to a pastor in that situation. Mm. Yeah, I, I, um, I meant all of that. And I, I think I'd want to also say it's not if you're a pastor in that situation. Rather, I'm going to bet if you're a pastor listening to this, you probably are in that situation. I think you are the majority. And I think um, you don't need to feel that you've got to find an AA meeting equivalent. You, you can be open about this. We, we all know the sight of teasing the guy who shows up at a conference with the Greek New Testament. Um, you know, uh, I was that man. I uh, taught myself Greek uh, on the side at college, did nothing with it. I worked hard at Greek at seminary for three years and then afterwards focused on Hebrew. So I forgot my Greek. And I wanted to make sure that third time around would be the last time I learned but that also meant that, you know, the way we teach languages here is designed with that serious problem in mind. We know that this is too common and we're determined to make sure that we set you up at the end of your time with us on a trajectory where it is easier for you to work from Greek and Hebrew than from English. It genuinely is easier and will save you time each week. We'll talk about that a bit later. So um, we want to make sure that you don't have to keep working hard at the language once we're finished with you. We will get you there and you just need to enjoy keeping going. But in terms of, uh, you know, if this is you, I know how frustrating it is because what do you do? You say to yourself, I could go back to um, a grammar and pretend I don't remember the alphabet and that's dull as ditch water. Or I could dive straight into the Greek New Testament. The problem is, the bits I don't understand, I don't know which chapter of a grammar to even look because I can't even remember what it is that I don't understand. Mm -hmm. So uh, I would say a study buddy at a minimum or a teacher. No teacher of the languages is going to be anything other than delighted if you come to them and say, in all humility, I've lost too much to get back on the train uh, by myself. 
In fact, may interest you to know, I'm um, writing a book that does this very thing for Greek with Cambridge University Press. It's, it's designed to have uh, Greek that I've made up for those who need to basically go back to scratch, but not go, you know, as if they've never learned it before. So it right. will take you through passages that introduce you back to things you used to know one bit at a time. And again, yeah. I just want to encourage you that at least one publisher thinks there are enough of you out there that right. there is a market to help you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's wonderful. Um, we'll have to keep our eye out for that, um, for that text when it becomes available. Um, now I can imagine someone's listening to this and whether they've not learned the languages or have learned and forgotten them, they're still wondering, is it worth it? Is it the, the hours of vocab drills or, or, or getting back into the grammar or spending time with a study buddy even? Um, is, is that the best use of my time? Is it, is it worth it? And so maybe you could um, tell us, how, how has knowing the languages strengthened your own ministry within the church? Sure. I mean, that's a, that's a great question. And I, I think it gets us to really the heart of what we're talking about when we talk about the Bible, which is that we're dealing here with God's word as disciples. So whoever you are in the church, your first ministry is to self from Jesus. Uh, so why is it worth drilling paradigms going on with a study buddy? First and foremost, because I want to feed myself on Christ by the power of the Spirit, mm. by God, by God the Father's grace. Mm. And, um, and in a sense, you know, your congregation, they, they, get the, they get the overflow, the spillover from your reading of the word uh, when you actually teach them. So I, I wouldn't want to quantify it as a, this is how much your deacons board will notice or whatever. It, it's more that, you know, like, like Murray Machane put it, your congregation's greatest need is your holiness. Mm. So what you need is to be a man who is full of Christ. Mm -hmm. and, and I would not do this for any other reason than all of my encounters in the word will somehow benefit from this. Right. Um, does that make sense, Justin? Yeah, yeah. Um, if you wanted a couple of just anecdotal um, examples, you know, again, talking about um, being in Cuba, talking to folks, there was an idea doing the rounds from a particular very famous Latin American preacher. And, and, you know, he was going around saying that, oh, the Greek word that we translate worship or adoration, um, it actually means that we must approach God like a dog who is licking his master's hand. And what this chap had simply done was broken up a Greek word wrongly into two bits in a completely ridiculous uh, derivation. You, you know, a bit like saying butterfly is, is a stick of curdled milk with wings. You know, <laughs> it was just interesting to see that here, here are, you know, a dozen pastors representing six denominations who between them don't know anybody who can say that idea is ridiculous. Right. Um, or in, in church life here, you know, our pew Bibles were literally falling apart. Uh, so I tried to do a cross-reference on the pulpit and the page just wasn't there. And the big question was, do we go for this translation? Do we go for that translation? And I agreed with the elders that whatever they chose, they would let me explain what was wrong with it and what was right with the other one. And, uh, and it was helpful for older members of the congregation who said, all my life, I've only had people lay down the law. It's got to be this translation or that translation. 
and actually to show them, look, translation isn't where it's at in the end. Uh, translation is a word ministry. Translation is something that is being mediated to you. So let me show you what its blessings are. Let me show you what its deficiencies are. And that's something you can do if, um, if you can read the original languages. Right, yeah. Stephen? Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. And I, I, I think that I would say in a, in a general sense, it's, um, it's made me more sure-footed in exegetical work. So that, that flows through just all aspects, really, of ministry. So from, from pastoring, um, from, from preaching, from teaching. Um, but it's a, there's, a, there's a sure-footedness that um, it's not a, a confidence in self. It's not a confidence in your own interpretation. Um, but it's, it's that you've, you've begun to understand what those unknown knowns, unknown, unknowns are that Stefan was talking about earlier so that um, you're, not, um, you're not doing guesswork. And then that means actually in, when questions or issues arise um, that are to do with emphasis, scriptural emphasis or emphasis within a passage, it's, it's possible to, to filter those much more easily and to work out what's idiosyncratic and, and what's not. And I mean, we can talk perhaps a bit later about how it, you know, it affects interpretation and interaction with commentaries, but uh, it, it also means that it's, it's possible to engage much more fruitfully and, and efficiently really with, um, with commentaries and a range of different views and, and be able to pick based on, on, on independent judgment or more judiciously. So uh, it's, that, it's that sure-footedness, that freshness or force that uh, I think seasons lots of what's, what you're doing as you open up the word. Um, yeah, yeah, that's good. Now, I, I've heard, I think from both of you say at, at various points, um, you know, really in, in your approach to, to working with students, you want to get students reading the languages. I, I hear that and wonder, isn't that what all coursework in the language does? Is that, is that unique? Are there other approaches that don't involve actually reading the language? Uh, maybe um, help us understand why, why first you focus on reading and how that may differ from, from other approaches. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the way you framed the question, it, it makes it hard to answer it without being rude, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> what other language... Blame would... me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, what language would you learn where you say, my aim is to exegete texts which I cannot confidently read? Mm. Would you do that with French? Would you do it with Chinese? It, it, it's just absurd. But, um, you know, in our uh, efficiency-driven culture, with the expense of theological education, with all sorts of constraints against you, the pressure is always on to say, let me give you some techniques uh, for Greek and Hebrew and Bible software and whatever, and then you can do these few things, which will somehow enrich your preaching. And I want to come back to saying, I don't want my preaching to be enriched. I want more of Jesus, please. I want to read his word for myself, please. I don't want 10% added value on sermon as task of a week of labor. That, that's just not the, the week of the minister. We have this privilege of basking from a fire hydrant um, in the word of the spirit. So why we emphasize reading is, well, why wouldn't you? But also, if we're going to be pragmatic and efficiency-driven and so on, 
Doing it this way saves you time. It saves you time in the classroom because when you're teaching an advanced topic in second year and you're looking at examples, if we're dealing with students who've got used to reading a volume of text, then they can work out what these examples are doing. Whereas I remember sitting in class and trying to understand some advanced concept, looking at four verses of examples and taking ages to just basically read those verses. It slows you down. So I've discovered to my surprise that I'm covering just as much theory as I was ever taught, as well as doing, I mean, an order of magnitude more reading of texts, mm. just to get through the theory a lot more quickly. Now, you don't want to know about being saved time in seminary. You want to know about saving time when you're a pastor. So you're, you're a solo pastor somewhere. You're expected to do a midweek, a Sunday morning, a Sunday evening, let's say. How much time have you got to prepare a talk, a sermon? For many of you on a good week, it's five hours, right, for each. And some of you are thinking five hours, luxury. I wish I had, you know, that fourth hour, that third hour. But let's say five hours. What's a reasonable amount of New Testament to preach from? If it takes you three hours just to read that text in Greek, you're not going to. You can't afford it. Mm. And so you will stop working from Greek and you will lose what you've already got. What if I told you that... At a maximum, after one hour, you can have worked through the text in Greek and saved yourself a ton of commentary work because you've already decided what the important questions are. You've already got things that you need to go and investigate. You've already got some clear and ambiguous markers and you can go to the good commentaries with specific questions. You can save yourself the hour or two of skimming multiple English translations, comparing them, skimming some good reliable commentaries to see what issues they throw up. You can, skim all, you can skip all of that. It's not saying you're not going to use the commentaries, you're just going to use them much more efficiently. Mm. And here, what do you do with that saved time? More time to meditate on the word, more time to think about your people and what they need to hear from you, more time to pray and dream about how the word of God that you've got in your hands is going to help them and bless them and feed them. Right. On mm. um, the, the one other thing I want to add in there is actually just the, the issue of plausibility. You know, when we are asked to distinguish between possible interpretations of a passage, if you're sitting there hovering your mouse over Bible software to try and parse it from you, that is not what a native Spaniard does when he reads the newspaper. But a native Spaniard, when you tell him that this sentence could mean this, this, or this, he says, yeah, but only one of those is remotely plausible. And if you've read a high volume of Greek, or even if you stay on for our master's program, do our fourth year of advanced Greek, if you've actually learned to write Greek, then you can, you know, and I found this in Victorian commentators, where modern commentaries spend 20 pages on two possible meanings of a verse in Hebrews, a Victorian commentator goes, theoretically could mean this, but actually it would have been more clearly written this way. So it must mean this other thing and off we go. Mm -hmm. It's that sure-footedness that Stephen was talking about of mm -hmm. someone who actually knows the language. I think that's right. So there is, I mean, as you say, the person doesn't parse out the words in the newspaper. So, so just being able to break down the meaning of individual words and um, you know, the morphological information is, is not what it's there for. It's actually to be read it as a language. And so understanding comes through through that activity of, of, of reading. And 
I mean, it's it's very true that uh, it's it's important to have that degree of facility with reading before you're then in an even more pressured time environment um, where you've got all sorts of obligations. The door, you know, there's a knock at the door and there's um, there, there's more than you can possibly do uh, efficiently. So you don't have the luxury of improving your speed all the time. Uh, you, you, you're trying to maintain that. So um, it's perhaps even more acute with the Old Testament than, than the New. So you could be faced um, with preparing, you know, five, six chapters of the Old Testament as you're, as you're translating. And if all you've ever encountered um, in one session or one sitting or in one you know, preparation or study session, say five verses of, of Hebrew, and suddenly you're, you're faced with translating five chapters, each of 30 verses long, suddenly you're having to do so much more than you've ever done before. And so setting a, a trajectory, a certain fluency of reading that um, can carry you forward uh, into ministry is, is really important. And I would, I would echo what Stefan's saying about volume, encountering enough reading to gain instinct. Volume trains instinct. Mm. So to be able to say, it's, it doesn't mean that. It's, it's hard to put your finger on it, but, but that instinct only comes after you've encountered it in the wild a certain number of times. Mm -hmm. and, um, you can filter out different interpretations much more easily and quickly. Right. Right. Yeah. No, that's, that makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, how many people do I meet regularly who studied French or Spanish? They studied a second language in, in the classroom somewhere. They didn't maintain any of it. And you ask them about, well, how did you learn it? Well, we, well, we learned the passé composé and then we learned the, the empathé, and then we learn future tense, and along the way we would get a few vocabulary words too. But uh, how the how these things work together, and, and and reading, don't ask me to read or or hear or even speak any of any of this language. I just I, I learned the rules and a few words, and uh, we we come away from living languages that that kind of approach completely illiterate and so um, how much more important I think as you brought out in these these biblical languages to be able to to read them to be able to read God's word and not see uh, Greek or Hebrew as a collection of grammatical rules and random vocabulary words that that we're drilling through um, that sparks for me a, a question and and you've kind of um, hinted at at this along the way as you've as you've answered other questions, but how has um, maybe for you personally, how have the languages helped you delight in God more than you think you would have otherwise? There's there's a really beautiful moment in uh, the start of Genesis 15 uh, where um, Abraham believes uh, the Lord's promise and he credits it to him as righteousness. And then before that, in the chapter before that, and we have this great refusal, an arch refusal. Abraham shockingly says no to the king of Sodom when he's offered booty from a battle that everybody knows and with the Lord's help, Abraham has, has won. And the king of Sodom, before he comes to offer that booty and before he can meet Abraham, this enigmatic figure Melchizedek steps in and speaks to Abraham, and he blesses Abraham, as we know. And in that blessing, he uses a description of God that's um, 
very unusual as a uh, as a term to describe God, and it gets variously translated as sometimes there's a, a note saying this could be creator or possessor. It often gets translated as, and and Melchizedek says to Abraham that he's blessed by God Most High, possessor. This term possessor of heaven and earth, and this it stands out as unusual, and um, in. Uh, in the original, and this is something that is also carried through in translation, so I'm not saying this isn't something that um, that can't come through in translations, but um, but it's very striking and unusual. And then when the king of Sodom offers uh, the booty to uh, Abram, as he is here, of course, Abram, he, he quotes back that description, that very unusual description of God that he's just heard in narrative terms from Melchizedek uh, that's um, he refuses it because he's, he's lifted his hand. He's, he's made an oath um, by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, possessor of heaven and earth. And so um, it, encapsulated in this term is just, it, it's something that God wants to feed Abraham's faith and ours. Um, but he feeds Father Abraham's faith by saying, I am the possessor, the owner of everything. So just before you meet somebody who's going to offer you the world's riches from the booty of this battle, please know that I've, who, who I am. And so this title is very strategic at this moment for this man at this mm. point in biblical history. Mm. And it's very moving to think that um, this is a man who has no one to pass his inheritance on to. He mm. opens up to the Lord at the start of chapter 15 with his fear about what he doesn't have. But what's kept his faith and sustained his faith is that actually his Lord is the possessor, the owner. He is the one who can dispose and make, dispose the earth, the heavens and the earth on Abraham. And the the heir of the world, as as, as Paul then describes him in Romans, and this is uh, this is our inheritance as, as children of Abraham. Mm. We by faith we um, we can see that this is a foundation stone and a building block for righteousness uh, alone by mm. faith. So this it, it's very moving to see actually how something that's striking and stands out to you compared to the other names and titles and descriptions. The Old Testament of God is it's deliberate. It's it's chosen. Mm. It's a strategic word choice for our faith, and uh, and uh, so yeah, it's about one example where it's um, yeah. really moving. Yeah. Well, this this isn't going to be uh, nearly as as I defined. It's actually going to be a little bit cute and twee. But um, you know how they say, particularly about John's gospel, that it's shallow enough for a baby, and deep enough for an elephant, and. Uh, in John 15, where Jesus talks about being the true vine, verses two and three have always puzzled me because we have there Jesus saying uh, that the Father prunes every branch that is mm. in me. And then suddenly you get this complete change of subject in verse three, where Jesus says, already you are clean because of my word. And I've always struggled with what is the connection there? Because it sounds as though on the one hand, you're saying, if you're in me, my father is going to, for your good, put you through this discomfort of pruning. Mm -hmm. um, complete change of topic. Um, by the way, I've already made you clean. What, what's the connection? Now, when I first read that in Greek, suddenly the penny drops, uh, which is that the Greek idiom for pruning a branch is cleaning a branch. Hmm. Now, there's no way that any responsible translator could carry that idiom over. Because if you said every branch that is in me, my father cleans, we would imagine a bucket of soap and water detergent, you know, a Brillo right. pad. Right. 
it would destroy his, his main intent, which is what's going on is pruning. But as you read it in Greek, you then see the connection that actually father and son are doing the same thing. Mm. Son has already made you clean by his word and the father makes it his business to keep you clean mm. uh, in your life. It is no longer two unconnected activities, mm. but rather it is the inseparable operation of the one triune God. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, thank you for those, thank you for those examples. Um, our time here is getting short on this episode, though. Um, it's been it's been so rich. Before before I let you go, um, you know we love books around here uh, and any other kinds of resources. But for those that are are looking to gain and keep the languages, um, what would you say are some of the better resources to help with that? Our BA Plex is very affordable. It's in context. You can stay where you are. It can be done in three or six years part-time. Your investment may go down as well as up and other warnings from the uh, financial regulator. But, you know, why, why not do that? Why not treat yourself to a theological education as well as learn the languages? Yeah. All right. All right. Well, dear listeners, you have, you've been invited officially to, uh, <laughs> to study with Stefan and Stephen. Um, thank you so much. Stephen, Stefan, thank you for your time. Thank you for helping us think about such a foundational topic for understanding and uh, ministering God's word. I'm, I'm excited to have you back uh, for two more conversations that are sure to be rich as well. Thank you for joining us today on the Reformation Fellowship Podcast. We would love to stay in touch with you. The best way to do that would be to head over to reffellowship.org. That is R-E-F fellowship.org. Sign up for our newsletter. We'll be able to keep you updated on upcoming events, upcoming resources, upcoming gatherings, etc. Thank you again for joining us here on the Reformation Fellowship Podcast. God bless. Mm-hmm.